welcome to the latest episode of Public Power Now. I'm Paul Champoli, News Director, APPA. Our guest in this episode is Don Roth-Lindell, General Manager at California Public Power Utility, Burbank Water and Power. Don, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Paul. I'm glad to be here. Sure thing. So, Don, um, wanted to start our conversation by focusing on some recent news that we actually covered in APPA's newsletter, and it relates to uh, energy storage. Um, so, as you know, Burbank Water and Power recently announced it entered into an agreement um, for ESS Inc. to provide the utility with its first utility-scale battery storage project. So, I had several questions I wanted to run by you related to this project, starting with um, if you could provide additional details on why Burbank Water and Power decided to pursue utility-scale storage. Uh, sure. So we believe that utility-scale storage is needed to meet the needs as we increase renewable variable resources like wind and solar. So storage can help meet the load requirements on a shorter term while we adjust for that variability. One of the critical components of the future carbon neutral energy mix is having a widely diverse portfolio of both generation and storage options. So in storage, what we're looking at is large scale remote, large scale local storage, small scale local storage, and potentially EV input. As we uh, increase the number of electric vehicles, um, we plan to include those in our portfolio as well. All of these combined will help us meet the needs. One thing I was curious about uh, is ownership of the project. Is it going to be owned by the utility or ESS? Uh, BWP will both own and operate the project. So it'll be managed by us on a local microgrid level using our on-campus solar in combination with the iron flow battery. What this does is in addition to providing us with local storage, it enables us to skill up our craft employees and our energy control personnel on both maintaining and integrating these resources onto our grid. In writing the story for our newsletter, one of the things that jumped out at me is the fact that this storage system is gonna use iron flow technology so I um, want to know if you could give our listeners a better sense as to what are the benefits of this technology compared with other storage technologies? Sure. Well, we're piloting, so we'll hopefully know even more about the benefits on the other side of our pilot uh, that we're able to do thanks in part to a $125,000 grant from APPA. So thank you very much. Um, iron flow batteries will not fatigue, or at least not at the rate that lithium ion batteries do. So by fatiguing, what I mean is requiring recharging more and more frequently, just like our cell phones do as they age. That's what happens with lithium ion batteries. This battery is expected to last 25 years. The battery is also expected to be able to discharge between six to eight hours worth of energy. That's about twice the length of time that lithium ion can deliver. And um, so again, the length of discharge time equates to what the industry is now calling long-term storage, although we really need much longer than six to eight hours, but it certainly is an improvement. And then finally, the components on the other end are less negatively impacted to the environment, the other end being once the battery does uh, has served its useful life. 
So the downside, though, of an iron flow battery in comparison to lithium-ion batteries today is that these batteries are much larger than lithium-ion batteries. So the iron flow takes up about 10 times the amount of space than a lithium-ion would take up for the same amount of energy. So it's why we want to pilot to help improve our understanding and our thinking and potentially technology advancement in this arena. Uh, BWP's Eco Campus here in Burbank has a history of testing out new technologies and testing out different types of energy storage. So we'll continue to strive for this and our analysis and use case should assist other utilities as well. Uh, interesting. Okay. And just also another angle in terms of the storage project. You know, it's my understanding that this project is going to help BWP meet its goal of having uh, greenhouse gas free power supply by 2040. Um, so, can you offer additional details on how the utility plans to achieve the um, greenhouse gas free power supply by 2040 goal? Uh, sure. We believe a diverse portfolio is going to be critical to being able to achieve that goal. So we're looking at a portfolio that may include wind and solar, geothermal, landfill gas, renewable biogas for use at our on-site combined cycle plant and our natural gas peaker plant, hydropower, nuclear power, green hydrogen, and offsetting carbon capture for baseload gas. So we're just starting our new integrated resources planning process, and we're pulling in a wide variety of stakeholders, including members of the environmental community, to help us think big. So just a quick follow-up. So with respect to the IRP planning process, what's the timeline of that in terms of kind of next steps? Uh, sure, so we are just um, beginning Beginning that process, we have identified the members of our core team um, that includes stakeholders from a variety of um, areas, and we are just starting our meetings in December, and it will probably take us around nine months to a year. So you mentioned earlier the Eco Campus, um, and the storage system is going to be installed and connected to a solar array on that Eco Campus. You provided some uh, some details on the Eco Campus, but could you maybe provide additional details on what exactly that is? Uh, sure. So we are super proud of our Eco Campus. It is a place where we look to model the way for our stakeholder owners and um, our citizen owners. And we uh, do this by reducing, recycling, reusing, and uh, trying to think green in everything that we do. So some examples of this, we turned an old lattice steel structure, ginormous old steel structure from an old substation into a beautiful arbor area. And so it's vine covered. We've got climbing vines all over it. And it's large enough for huge meeting space underneath it. We've got recycled water to our campus to keep our drought resistant gardens alive. And those gardens aren't just on the ground, but they're actually on our rooftops as well so that we reduce the heat footprint 
We've got permeable pavers and we capture water underneath those permeable pavers and we start the cleaning of the water with plants that are planted in the middle of the sidewalks that help to clean that water. We've got 265 kilowatts of solar on campus and we have that on top of our carports because Burbank is a small, geographically small city and we don't have a lot of land. So we're looking at modeling the way by putting that solar on top of our carports and that's what will also charge this iron flow battery, these iron flow batteries that we're putting on. So we can model the way and we do it right here. Now you touched upon renewable energy um, in, in earlier remarks. Um, so it's my understanding that the utility must procure 20% more renewable energy in less than eight years to meet the 60% by 2030 renewable energy mandate set by California. So could you talk about the strategies that BWP is implementing to procure renewable energy supplies? Yes, so we are um, <laughs> very aware of this goal and laser focused on achieving it. In the short term, we're looking at geothermal, additional wind, additional solar, and we plan to utilize partnerships both through SCAPA, which is the Southern California Public Power Authority, it's a joint purchasing authority where we partner with other utilities to uh, lower the cost and, and enlarge the scale of our procurement. And we'll also be partnering with some purchase power agreement vendors, some PPA vendors to achieve these goals. We're looking at storage options for both wind and solar projects. And I apologize if you mentioned this uh, at, at an earlier point, but with respect to geothermal, is that part of your existing portfolio at this point? Um, we have had geothermal and we are looking at some new sources. So in terms of my next question, I want to turn to the infrastructure side of the equation um, and more specifically in, in researching um, the, the, about the utility and preparation for this interview. One of the things that jumped out at me is the fact that the utility plans to build a new substation called, referred to as a Willow substation. So in the context of that project, I wanted to know if you could talk about utilities maintaining high levels of reliability and the need to replace aging assets? Yes. So in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, Burbank Water and Power really pushed developers to each have their own substation. But with newer technology, we are able to use this similar footprint for much more capacity. Willow is part of our plan to move from 4 kV to 12 kV throughout our distribution system. We've actually been actively working this for the last 10 years. This is important because we believe we will need additional capacity to support both the electric vehicle transformation that's happening in California, as well as further electrification as uh, the city looks to green up its energy through, you know, energy usage throughout, and we reduce our gas and gas use and increase electric. So Willow is, one Willow substation is equal to two of our former four kilovolt stations mm -hmm. in terms of size. We've now, and we're, we're uh, building capacity in Willow at the 12 kV level, and we've got room to build even more capacity than what we are building today. 
you know, I guess the one of the questions that might flow from this topic is um, whether it's with respect to the substation or any other projects going on right now, have you guys faced any supply chain uh, challenges or issues? We sure have, um, especially in the area of transformers. So our transformer vendor is now in a two to four year range for being able to supply those. We went out and looked for additional transformer vendors. Mm -hmm. We only found one other vendor that would be able to supply us any at all. Every other vendor we sourced said they already had too big of a backlog and they weren't taking on any new customers. And we are looking at prices that have about doubled. So that is very significant. Uh, for us. And in fact, what we're doing is running more of our system to failure. That's why I'm sitting in the dark today here on Mm. the eco campus. Uh, We had a switch that failed. Normally, we would not allow equipment to age to Mm. that point. Yeah. And my discussions with other um, public power utility executives, I mean, it sounds like the consensus at this point, there's no there's no real crystal ball in terms of when this may um, resolve itself. You're exactly right. That's my understanding as well. I think that we really were focused on cost prior to Mm -hmm. the pandemic, and we were always looking for our least expensive options. This led to a lot of offshoring of the machining of the types of equipment that electric utilities need to run. And I think at this point, we've probably learned a valuable lesson that we need to have a good mix of that so that we've got uh, countries that are much closer, countries <laughs> that we've got um, yeah, companies that right. are much uh, more uh, closely located to us that can that can supply some of our needs. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and and one uh, follow up question that occurred to me as it relates to some of your earlier responses. So you talked about you've talked about electrification and electric vehicles. Um, in the context of, of overall utility planning, what do you guys do in terms of kind of mapping out what how that growth might occur in Burbank over the next couple of years or beyond even? Sure. So we uh, not only keep track of the actual electric vehicles that are purchased here, mm-hmm. but we have electric vehicle charging stations and we have partnered with Tesla on additional charging stations that are to the Tesla you know, specific right. standard. And we're able to track usage of those and revenue off those EV stations. So we have seen that double in the last five years, the exact same EV EV stations, a single EV EV charging station is now uh, getting more than twice the revenue that it was five years ago. So we're we're watching that locally, but then we're also sourcing some uh, companies in California that are tracking the adoption rate, and we're keeping a really close eye on that. And the reason we are is that in times of change. Um, I believe it was Bill Gates who noted that it goes much more slower than you think it will in the first year, but much more quickly than you think it will over the 10-year period. And we have to be able to supply electricity over that 10-year period uh, effectively, and we don't want to be caught not ready. Right. Okay. Makes sense. 
Well, Don, thanks so much for taking the time out of your day to speak with us and uh, love to have you back as a guest sometime in 2023 to maybe revisit some of these topics and, and discuss other um, topics as well. So thanks again. Oh, thank you. Thanks for the interest and happy to help. Okay, great. Thanks for listening to this episode of Public Power Now. We're encouraging listeners of Public Power Now to take a few minutes to complete APPA's new reader survey, which seeks feedback on this podcast, as well as other APPA news offerings. Go to publicpower.org slash reader survey. I'm Paul Schimpoli, and we'll be back soon with more from the world of public power. <laughs>